0: The New York Times goes full Orwell and says that an unborn baby's heartbeat is not really a heartbeat. Nothing to see or hear here. Move along. These are not the droids you're looking for. And Dr. Fauci is exposed once again for his anti-science bigotry and apparent desire to seize the legacy of Joseph Mengele. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We are back into the news cycle in what will go down as likely one of the most consequential, if not the most consequential year on abortion politics with Roe v. Wade toppling ready to fall over. And if that happens in June, then, of course, this goes back to the states and this really becomes – uh, a battle for life at the state level as as states begin to really gird up their loins and Republican states which will have no excuse to not end abortion uh, can now work through their representatives uh, and their uh, state legislatures to ban abortion in their state if roe v Wade gets overturned and the Supreme Court allows the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban gestational age jack to stand in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization lawsuit. So really, really phenomenal year. Very exciting time to be alive. And that's why we did our Love Life California conference. We have the, that whole playlist of all of the sessions available up on my YouTube channel, Seth Gruber, a voice for the unborn, playlist Love Life California conference 2022. Go check that out. You're not going to want to miss the phenomenal sessions from our phenomenal lineup of guest speakers and a podcast conversation episode with each of those guest speakers, which we released um, in this last week on my podcast here as well. So a lot of really exciting content for you, but the the main stage sessions from that conference um, are not going to be released on this podcast, but they are on my YouTube channel if you want to watch those. And so uh, there's a lot going on in in the country right now, in in the world for freedom, for liberty. But as we talk about on the show, so much of that really kind of goes back to life. Uh, So much of the tyranny that we're experiencing outside the womb Is because of our country's apathy towards and the church's tolerance of tyranny in the womb. There is a hierarchy of rights, right? We call the it's an order of rights. And if you get the right to life wrong, you can bet a lot of money that you're going to see an abuse of every other right that flows from that first and most important of all rights. And so that's why we want to get the right to life right on this show and return to those first foundational, fundamental principles that we once used to say were self-evident or axiomatic or obvious uh, but are not so much so today um, in the culture of death. But nowhere does the culture of death get more celebrated, defended, and euphemized uh, than perhaps at the Grey Lady, (laughs) the New York Times, the news that's fit to print, which I like to call are just journalistic prostitutes for the culture of death and so new york times has this new um i i thought it was an opinion editorial but no it's in the health section guys it's in the health section don't worry it's just science (laughs) it's just the health experts you can trust them what do you know about health and science anyways read the health section of the new york times and we'll educate you we'll inform you it's not opinions it's just facts or what do they say at CNN, where an apple is an apple, (laughs) where we know what an apple actually is. So this is from Roni Karen Rabin, writing at the New York Times on February 14th in a, a piece called Abortion Opponents Hear a Heartbeat. But most experts hear something else. That's the title of this piece. Abortion opponents, meaning pro-lifers, they hear a heartbeat. And you'll see in the article it says heartbeat in like quotations. Ooh, ooh, heartbeat. (laughs) Is it not a real heartbeat? Well, we're going to get into it. That's kind of the whole point. That's what they're going to say. Is that? Yeah, it's not really. It's not really. But most experts hear something else. Ooh, experts! Don't you? Aren't you ready to ban that word from American political discourse? Experts. (laughs) So here's some. uh, We'll read some pieces from this article. You should go read the whole thing. Um, My friends at Heartbeat International are crafting a response to this, and uh, so I'll share that on my social media when they release that. uh, And that they always do a really good job responding to. To the abortion headlines or, or fake news or, or, or fact factual claims that the left makes. So here's, here's a little bit about what she writes in this piece. She says, the Texas law banning abortions after about six weeks of pregnancy is based on a singular premise disputed by, by what? many medical experts listen for how many times they they (laughs) reference experts okay ooh medical experts that that once an ultrasound detects electrical cardiac activity (laughs) so that by the way that's what they're going to call a heartbeat in this piece electrical cardiac activity in an embryo its heart is beating and a live birth is on the way so that they're saying that that uh the texas law is based off of this premise disputed by many medical experts and what's that premise That once an ultrasound detects electrical cardiac activity in an embryo, its heart is beating and a live birth is on the way. At this very early stage of pregnancy, however, the embryo is the size of of a pomegranate seed and has only a primitive tube of cardiac cells that emit electric pulses and pump blood. (laughs) Language has long been a battleground in the political struggle over abortion. You got that right, lady. And the sparring now centers on a word with deep resonance. Heartbeat. Ooh. The Texas law, which makes no exceptions for rape for cases of rape or incest, forbids abortion at a time a again in quotations a heartbeat can be heard, which usually occurs at six weeks of gestation. The appeal is emotional because many parents to be are moved ooh, by sounds during an ultrasound scan. Oh, you mean like that they're developing like a very natural biological uh, we would call it mystical, beautiful relationship with the child that's already their child because they're already apparent to the child that's growing in them. Ooh, they're developing an emotional relationship with them and the word heartbeat might strengthen that relationship? We can't have that, <laughs> right? Uh, but what the law defines as the sound of a heartbeat is not considered by medical, ooh, experts, to be coming from a developed heart, which forms later in pregnancy. Right, it's not coming from a developed heart in the same way that when your teenager Uh, thinks that he can drive 120 miles per hour down the freeway mildly drunk, that decision isn't coming from a fully developed brain, right? His prefrontal cortex is not fully developed. We're all on a different tick mark on on the continuum of human development. But you see the kind of language they have to use? Many medical experts say that it's not coming from a developed heart, which forms later in pregnancy. Yeah, there's there's many parts of our bodies that are not fully developed yet. They're still in that process. But what is being processed? What is in the process of development? The baby's heart, you freaking sick New York Times pro-abortion molex serviles. They say the heart is one of the first organs to start developing because the embryo's growth and survival depend on the circulation of blood carrying oxygen and nutrients. The electric activity... (laughs) It's not a heartbeat. It's electric activity begins at around six weeks in a tube of cells that will become a heart after multiple gyrations. Um, Okay. By the way, uh, oh, oh, look, fact check, fact check, anti-science conspiracy theorists. They say the electric activity begins at around six weeks. No, no. Everyone knows if they've taken embryology or biology or has read a textbook on embryology or wasn't smoking pot and high in high school that the heart begins beating at day 21 or 22 after conception. Day 21 or 22 after conception, the heart begins beating. It is then detectable at six weeks. But they say right here, the electric activity begins at around six weeks. No, it doesn't begin at around six weeks. It begins at day 21 and is detectable at around six weeks. Uh, Fact check, fact check, Fauci, science. (laughs) The experts are wrong. It will bend and loop and twist itself into an S shape. Thick cushions of embryonic tissue will grow toward one another to create walls and a ridge on the floor of the ventricle, which will rise to meet them to partition the heart. If all goes well, four chambers and valves will form by the ninth or tenth week of pregnancy, and the heart will continue developing throughout gestation. Oh, no, duh, really? The baby develops the whole time they're in the womb? But a heartbeat's familiar labub, labub sound is created by the closing of the heart valves, which do not exist in the six-week-old cardiac tube. Look look at how far the New York Times has to bend over linguistically to try to dehumanize the the mystery of prenatal development, dehumanize the human being whose early heart is pulsating and beating in order to justify uh, their bigotry and convince the American public that their bigotry is really just equity, and that it's okay to be pro-abortion because it's just they're so not like us. They're just so tiny and less developed that what you even think is a heartbeat is not even a heartbeat because it's not really human. It's kind of like um, uh, what did the Nazis say? Uh, Untermensch, right? Subhuman. That, that, that it's it's the same dehumanization of the victim class that you have a vested interest in abusing or profiting off of, to use for your own means. This is nothing new. The culture of death has just got a lot better at perfecting their use of language. And we'll get to that later. The article continues and says, the consensus among most medical experts, there it is again, (laughs) the expert class, is that the electrical activity picked up on an ultrasound at six weeks is not the sound of a heart beating. You don't hear what you think you hear (laughs) and does not guarantee a live birth. The sound expectant mothers hear during a scan, listen to this, is created by the machine itself, which translates the waves of electrical activity into something audible. (laughs) Let's read this again. The the consensus amongst medical experts is that the electrical activity picked up on an ultrasound is not the sound of a heart beating. Um, The sound expectant mothers hear during their scan is actually created by the machine, which translates the waves of electrical activity into something audible. So, I texted our friend, a uh, friend of the show, Dr. Brent Bowles, uh, OBGYN doctor, been delivering babies for 30 years. Okay. He's now the, heart, he's now the medical director at Heartbeat International. Okay. And we're doing the session together. So, apologist speaker, me with medical expert doctor on stage at the Heartbeat International conference in Florida. Uh, in uh, March uh, at the end of next month. so, so tune in for that. Well, I texted Dr. Brent, and I said, "How about this line from the New York Times? what do you make of this? As someone who obviously performs ultrasounds, is a doctor, is an OBGYN? I wanted to get the the expert, the medical expert opinion, which uh, uh, Shocker runs counter to the claims being made in this New York Times article. So I want to give credit to, to our friend Dr. Brent Bowles, the, the uh, medical expert analyst of Unaborted here. Uh, and I asked him what he made of this claim. that it, it They're not hearing the, the heartbeat at all. It's actually the sound that the machine is making, which translates the waves of electrical activity into something audible. So So Dr. Brent explained it like this, that the ultrasound does not and cannot detect electrical activity. When the ultrasound detects the heartbeat, it is because those electrical impulses stimulate the heart muscle fibers, which respond with rhythmic contractions, or the heartbeat. (laughs) The ultrasound shows the moving parts of the fetal heart, which are the result of the electrical activity. But the ultrasound does not detect the electrical activity alone. The article itself says that, that the primitive tube of cardiac cells that emit electric pulses and pump blood, right? That's what the New York Times says. It says the primitive tube of cardiac cells that emit electric pulses and pump blood. But what does a heart do? It pumps blood. The cardiovascular system is the first organ system in the embryonic human to perform its adult function. The pumping of blood. It may not be the same shape or size as an adult heart, but it does much more than emit electrical impulses. It actually pumps blood. And the ultrasound shows that, showing so much more than mere electrical impulses, to quote the New York Times. So when this writer says, The sound expectant mothers hear during a scan is created by the machine itself, which translates the waves of electrical activity into something audible. She leaves out the most critical information. Dr. Brent points out the ultrasound equipment is not translating the waves of electrical activity into something audible. An ultrasound machine cannot perform that function. The ultrasound machine produces an audible representation Of the movement of the cardiac tissues. Movement that what? Pumps blood. Because that's what a heart does. Okay, so, excuse me. There's your medical expert opinion and analysis from an OBGYN and doctor who delivers babies and has performed thousands of ultrasounds. There's the medical expert analysis and opinion that you're not going to get from the freaking New York Times, okay? Uh, The gray lady, all the news that's fit to print my... But, my but, um, and, and of course, uh, anytime someone says but, they're about to negate everything they just said. And there's a whole lot of buts going on um, at the New York Times today. So, so just, uh, just a little bit of that expert analysis I- I into translating the euphemistic bigotry of the New York Times in their attempts to dehumanize the unborn child and their natural growth um, in, into reality for you there. The article continues here and says, doctors are partly to blame for the confusion. What confusion? That, 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 um, that the electrical impulses are heartbeats. No, they're not. They're just impulses. Uh, they're partly to blame for the confusion. Many physicians whose patients are excited about a desired pregnancy, uh, translation, uh, child, baby, human, person, about a desired baby, pregnancy, will use the word heartbeat to describe the cardiac activity heard on an early ultrasound. The word has even crept into the medical literature. Oh, no. (laughs) They just describe it as this bad thing, right? That word heartbeat, it's creeping into the medical literature. We can't have that. Uh, What you see in here on an early, early, early ultrasound is embryonic activity. Electrical currents being sent through cells that will develop at a much later time into a heart, said Dr. Gabrielle Aguilar, an obstetrician-gynecologist and a former fellow with Physicians for Reproductive Health, which supports access to abortion. Ah, another expert, another expert. In September, representatives of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, ACOG, which, by the way, we've done a whole episode on this with Dr. Christina Francis at the American Association for Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Go listen to it. We talk about the twisted legacy and history of ACOG. ACOG, uh, that group is a fraudulent group that pretends to represent science and, to, and pretends to represent ob- obstetricians and gynecologists, uh, and yet they're, they're a political advocacy arm for the abortion behemoth. And so suddenly, when it serves their political goals and ideology, they're no longer willing to acknowledge the science of prenatal development. In fact, they've been behind making sure that the abortion pill can be used widespread and, and and available via snail mail, meaning there's no in-person evaluation for mom, meaning she's more endangered because you can't confirm gestational age and you can't rule out ectopic pregnancy. All things that you would want to do as a pro-choicer just to protect mom, even if you don't care about the unborn child. So ACOG doesn't care about the lives of unborn children or the health of the women seeking abortions who are also uh, sacrificed on the altar of abortion access. So you need to just go listen to the history of of the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Okay, but they're saying in September, representatives of ACOG said in a Senate hearing that while contemporary ultrasound can detect an electrically induced flickering, (laughs) oh my gosh, All ah, right, that was a new one. I missed that one prepping for the show. It, so it, it's not a heartbeat anymore, guys. The baby doesn't have a heartbeat anymore. They have electrically induced flickerings. <laughs> the amount of different terms that we have read in this piece just sitting here today <laughs> for heartbeat. Uh, wow, pretty powerful, right? And we'll get to just a second about the power of language. Uh, okay. That's just man. I got taken, got taken aback by that. While contemporary ultrasound can detect an electrically induced flickering of a portion of the embryonic tissue. (laughs) at about six weeks gestation. Structurally and in function, a fetus's heart develops over the entire course of pregnancy. The experts! Yes, it does develop during the entire course of pregnancy, just like every other part of the baby does, and just like your infant continues to develop throughout their life after they're born. And the magical birth canal didn't confer personhood and value to that child. Uh, So uh, the experts have spoken, guys. The experts have spoken. Um, Experts, experts. I don't think that word... Um, means what you think it means. This <laughs> reminds me of that line from The Princess Bride, if, which you, ha- you I assume you've seen. Who hasn't? You have to go see it. I think we have the clip here, actually. Let's play this. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. inconceivable right you know what's inconceivable is that any of these people uh, are are still referred to as experts or scientists (laughs) I don't think the word expert means what you think it means anymore I think science is a sticker that the elite class and secular progressivism (laughs) slaps over their bigotry to disguise their true agenda and to keep you confused you little republican rubes who don't know how to weed your way through the science and the study And the facts. That's what I think. I think that science was never more than a way to disguise your bigotry and sneak in your philosophical, metaphysical, disgusting premises under the mantle of facts and science. That's what I think. The experts, the experts. Goodness, goodness gracious. Well, this reminds me of 1984 right which wasn't supposed to necessarily be a manual but certainly is being used as a manual by the secular progressive movement the character winston in the book 1984 has this powerful line uh, that i think really explains what the new york times is doing here by going full orwell and saying that the unborn baby's heartbeat, which we know is a heartbeat, and everyone always always knew it was a heartbeat, is actually not a heartbeat anymore. It's, uh, what was was the line? Uh, Electrical uh, flickerings now. What are are we using now? Um, You you don't see what you think you see. You don't hear what you think you hear. La, 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 la. We will translate all of the science for you. And so Winston in 1984, he says, in the end the party would declare that two and two made five, and you would have to believe it. It was inevitable that they should make this claim sooner or later. The logic of their position demanded it. Not merely the validity of experience. What's he mean by that? The, the validity of, of your experience, your uh, your lived experiences, the left likes to say, like, like, hey, I have a life, I have experiences, like, I have faculties of reasoning, like, I can discern what I see and make sense of facts and, and make sense of my own liberty. No, no, you can't. No, you can't. Not merely the validity of experience of people's lives, but the very existence of an external reality was tacitly denied by their philosophy. The heresy of heresies was common sense. <laughs> it was a powerful line, right? It, it was. It's not that. It's not just that they're defining out of. Uh, existence your experience and ability to discern reality but the very existence that there is an objective external reality out there was tacitly denied by their philosophy so two and two can become five humans can become non-humans or non-persons boys can become girls and girls can become boys and there can be 130 genders and the heartbeat is now electrical impulse flickerings electrically induced flickerings not heartbeats uh, the heresy of heresies is common sense, uh, right? Because the left has always believed that through language, they can manipulate reality, right? Because the left does not believe in a fixed human nature. We believe that human nature is fixed, right? That's why we like to be students of history, because uh, we suck, we've always sucked, and we're always going to suck. And that's why you need Jesus, <laughs> that, that we tend towards despotism, Right, that man is not fundamentally good. He's fundamentally flawed and bad. And so we need what C.S. Lewis calls chests so that our intellect rules our appetite through through morality— Well, by whose standard can we discern morality? By God's standard, right? If there's not a creator, if there's not a big banger, if there's not someone who created the world, however he did it, then then by what standard can you appeal to that's above and outside of yourself such that we should all be beholden to that standard, right? If it's just a Darwinian dog-eat-dog world, there's a survival of the fittest, might makes right— then, then, I should be able to impose my truth and understanding of reality on you, and you can't complain about it or say boo about it. Oops! If you're an unborn child, you're dead. It's just a warring of interests versus an adherence to an objective, you know, moral standard. The acknowledgement of a moral universe, and that we have certain certain duties and obligations that flow from our human nature as rational human beings with language who can make sense of our own liberty. But it is that language piece that separates us from all of the other beasts, right, and our rational nature, which goes hand in hand with language, the ability to express yourself, right? This is why you don't hold a tiger legally responsible in a court of law for mauling a man, for killing a man, but you do hold a man responsible for killing another man because he knew better and he had language and faculties of reasoning by which to make sense of right and wrong. That's what separates us from the beasts. But language is key, right? If you, can, if you can redefine words, the left believes they can redefine reality. Now, reality is fixed. You can't redefine it, but you can sure suppress it, right? You can make that reality something less than self-evident. Not so self-evident anymore. Not so axiomatic. Because ideology is a hell of a drug, isn't it? Ideology is a hell of a drug. That's why... That I, When I talk to pro-aborts and I engage with these people, it, it has become abundantly clear to me that many pro-aborts actually believe that, one, pro-lifers only want to end abortion to control women because they want to keep women under the thumb of the patriarchy and they don't want them to have full equality before the law or full equality in the workplace, like they don't want women to be able to have as many opportunities because— to quote Helen Gurley Brown, the editor-in-chief of the Cosmopolitan decades ago, women have these, these very frustrating built-in mechanisms which allow them to have babies, uteruses. And it was because of these built-in mechanisms, very dehumanizing of women, by the way, that allow them to have babies that they can't achieve the same level of uh, uh, success in the workplace because they have to stop and have a baby. The, the male doesn't have to do that. That's not fair. So women need abortion to be equal with men. There, there is a significant uh, swath of the American pro-choice public that actually believes that. That that's the only reason pro-lifers want to end abortion is to control women, and that the only way women can be equal is to have abortion. I mean, they're so entrenched in that ideology that they're fully convinced it's true. Ideology is a hell of a drug. It's a hell of a drug. And through language, the manipulation of language, right, or what we call propaganda, right, you can actually begin to make sizable differences and shifts in the way that the culture thinks about that given topic in question, right? And this is why Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propagandist, famously said, when he defined fake news, by the way, when he defined fake news, said that that you can get people to believe a lie. How? He said by saying it over and over and over again, right? And so thus the people must be shielded from the political and social and military uh, consequences of the lie. So he's saying you can suppress the truth and you can get people to believe lies by just saying it like over and over and over and over and over and over and over, and over again, but you do have to make sure that you, that you, you um, suppress the institutions and alternative facts and ideologies that would make them aware of the consequences of that, of that lie to truly get woke, to wake up to the lie that they've been fed. And so he says, uh, thus the state must use all of its power uh, to dissent the truth, for truth is the mortal enemy of um, the state. Uh, and and therefore and uh, the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie and therefore by extension, the mortal enemy of the state. <laughs> Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propagandist. I mean, pretty powerful language, right? But what's he saying? He's recognizing the power of language. So that's why the left has been launching this, these linguistic wars for so long. and that's why um, the, the full end of that agenda, is this 1984 dystopian Orwellian universe, right? Where you can't even say that two and two makes four because if the elite, the experts, the expert class, if if they have defined the facts, the data, the truth, and you dissent from that, your fake news, you have to be censored so the people will be shielded from the social consequences of the state's lies. Uh, but the end of that is that people live in delusion that they will actually say boys or girls, girls are boys, unborn babies aren't persons. And two plus two equals five. The heresy of heresies is common sense and common sense. As it said, ain't so common anymore and certainly not at the New York times, but here's the power of language before we move on. This is this. I want to hit on this. This is why language is so powerful. Uh, journalist, uh, Paul Greenberg uh, Paul Greenberg, years ago, uh, coined uh, a very succinct axiom, um, and he said that verbicide precedes homicide. Isn't that powerful? Do you hear that? Verbicide precedes homicide. The, the distortion by euphemism of language to camouflage or at least blunt the truth about the real killing that we want to do Right, so you don't just go from point A to point homicide. You go from point A to point manipulate A, to point manipulate B, to point manipulate C. You begin to manipulate language. You begin to implement euphemisms to present your true agenda under more socially impeccable auspices, under a a form of rhetoric that the American public finds more digestible, more palatable, right? If you call abortion feticide, for example, right? The 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 murder of a fetus, that doesn't sound as good. But reproductive health care, reproductive health care sounds really good, right? Verbicide precedes homicide. Use language to upend society, okay? Use language to redefine what you really want to do, and then you can actually define out of existence your victim class. So Jews become untermensch, subhuman. Uh, Blacks become three-fifths. Now, I I understand that they— they weren't actually saying that blacks were three-fifths. That was actually a Republican attempt to suppress the Democrat representation in Congress who wanted to push slavery. I get my history. But you know what I mean. The blacks became less than human. They called them jollywog and mingo and these dehumanizing terms. And now, and then unborn babies, you know, they become pregnancies. They become blobs of tissue. Verbicide precedes homicide. There were tons of pro-lifers in the Democrat Party in 1973. Did you know that? Oh, yeah. When the Democrat Party talks about themselves, we're a big tent party. We want to make room for everyone. Yeah, they used to kind of be more of a big tent party. And there were lots of pro-lifers in the Democrat Party then. And it it was acceptable. It's not acceptable today. You will not become a senator in today's Democrat Party if you're explicitly and unapologetically pro-life. Oh, Seth, what about Joe Manchin? Yeah, Joe Manchin is sort of, maybe, sometimes, not even really reliable in any way though, right? And he's the, he's the most conservative member of the Democrat Senate today. You're not welcome in that party. You will be thrown out into utter darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's not acceptable. Look how quickly the culture has changed and the polity and the politics has changed in regards to abortion. And much of that has been done by the left through verbicide through euphemisms, to make abortion more acceptable so that when you finally get to point homicide, nobody thinks it's homicide anymore. They think it's freaking equity. They think it's justice. That's why the new term is not reproductive health care. It's reproductive justice. You know, this makes me think of the uh, the line that, um, that Dr. Uh, Mark Newman, a friend of our show, shared on the show a couple months ago from the California uh, Medicine, from California Medicine, which is a journal. And in the 70s, they were sharing the self-evident nature of the pro-life position and the importance of using language um, to make abortion sound Uh, Less like killing because, you know, killing, that's not very nice. We don't really want to think about abortion as killing. And California medicine, by the way, you guys, um, was for abortion. They wanted to repeal the abortion laws circa 1973 and they wanted to see the legalization of abortion at the federal level. So I'm not quoting to you like a pro life journalist from the 70s, but this was from September of 1970 called A New Ethic for Medicine and Society in California Medicine Journal. And here's what they said. This speaks to that language, that that slow attempt to weed out self-evident truths, natural law, right, uh, acknowledgements of scientific realities, and, and redefine the, the understanding of those terms and those issues. Here's what they said. They said, since the old ethic has not yet been fully displaced— it has been necessary to separate the idea of abortion from the idea of killing, which continues to be socially abhorrent. (laughs) There it is. There it is. There's the language, right? Because the old ethic is still holding a lot of sway in American politics, what's that old ethic? The Judeo-Christian worldview that said human beings are created in the image of God. Therefore, they have intrinsic dignity, value, worth, and rights from every moment that they are human. Since the old ethic has not yet been fully displaced, And a lot of people kind of know that abortion is killing. It has been necessary for us to separate this idea of abortion from the idea of killing. We don't want those two things to be thought of together because killing continues to be socially abhorrent. (laughs) The result has been... A curious avoidance of the scientific fact, which everyone really knows that human life begins at conception and is continuous, whether intra or extra uterine until death. (laughs) California Medicine, pro-choice. They want to see abortion. They're pro-abortion. 1970, they're saying the result of displacing this old ethic, the result of separating the idea of abortion from the idea of killing has resulted in this curious avoidance of the science, which everyone really knows, they say, that human life begins at conception and is continuous, whether intrauterine in the uterus, or extra uterine until death. The very considerable semantic gymnastics which are required to rationalize abortion as anything but taking a human life would be ludicrous if they were not often put forth under socially impeccable auspices. (laughs) That's a freaking gnarly language. The very considerable semantic gymnastics. Yeah, linguistic gymnastics. Words. Twisting yourself into a linguistic pretzel To make abortion, the murder of an innocent unborn baby, sound like healthcare. That's what they're saying in 1970, before abortion was even legalized. They're saying, we understand. We understand how this works. We understand that verbicide precedes homicide. We understand that you have to define your victim class out of existence. We understand Joseph Goebbels that you have to say a lie over and over and over and over and over again and if you do people will actually believe it as long as as long as you suppress the military and social and economic consequences of the lie. We get that. Okay? We're trained we're trained leftists. We get it. <clears throat> Powerful. And then they finish with this line. They say, "It is suggested that this schizophrenic sort of subterfuge is necessary." because while a new ethic is being accepted the old one has not yet been rejected <clears throat> excuse me right they're saying that this schizophrenic sort of subterfuge is required because too much of that old judeo-christian ethic is still holding sway in our polity but the new ethic is starting to be accepted and we're going to we're going to bring in that that new marxist communist utilitarian functionalist account for personhood and ethic into a new tomorrow, and then we'll live equal, then we'll have equity. Uh, yeah, the, I think the experts uh, have been wrong uh, once again. And by allowing abortion, <clears throat> we've allowed the deterioration of every other right that we've taken for granted in this republic. So that's a little bit of, I guess, you know, social and political commentary on this New York Times piece and the importance of language. <clears throat> and why they push this type of language? Why they have to? Why they have to redefine terms, science, and facts in a way that is more palatable? But they have to do it slowly. But um, certainly, uh, the expert is not uh, the word that we think it means anymore. And then there's one more <clears throat> piece in this New York Times article where they they try to discredit some of the pro-life claims that link abortion to other kind of consequences that the woman might encounter after the abortion. For example, one of one of the claims you'll hear in the abortion debate by pro-lifers a lot is that abortion increases your chance of breast cancer, like, significantly. And the left has never wanted to acknowledge this, right, because the left loves the, the the, the uh, like, find a cure to breast cancer groups, right? They love it. Is it Susan G. Komen, I think? Right, they love these groups. Like, find a cure to breast cancer, right, because it's, it's a woman's issue, and so it's like, who, who would be against that? But the left love Susan G. Komen, they love the find a cure to breast cancer stuff, but they're also super pro-abortion. So it's like, dude, you're causing more women to get breast cancer by pushing abortion, which you then deny has any correlation whatsoever uh, because you need to profit off of women's bodies uh, by aborting their children and convincing them that abortion is necessary for their full equality, right? (laughs) So it's kind of sick and twisted that they're actually the ones causing more breast cancer to happen to what degree, to what numbers, I don't really know. I'll have to study it more, but I would assume it's bonkers numbers. I would assume that the number of breast cancers which have some correlation or causation to the fact that that woman had an abortion or abortions in her past is bonkers numbers. Um, so, But that's just sort of my, my opinion there. So um, they say here, the Texas statu- uh, statute, for example, re- they're talking about the Texas law, right? They say it requires physicians to warn women that they may face a higher risk of breast cancer or, or infertility if they have an abortion, despite a lack of evidence. The current consensus of the National Cancer Institute, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and the American Cancer Society is that abortions do not increase the risk of breast cancer. The experts, guys, don't worry. They've spoken. You can trust them. You don't know anything. Okay, well, ACOG is pro-abortion, and I'm fairly confident that the American Cancer Society uh, is, is all entangled uh, philosophically and politically with pro-abortion um, organizations as well. So uh, to, l- let me just sort of just briefly summarize um, the studies and the data regarding the link between abortion and increased re- risk of breast cancer. From 1957 to 2018, there were at least 76 studies looking at breast cancer risk in women undergoing induced abortion and in women having a spontaneous miscarriage. At least 76 studies uh, about the correlation between 1957 and 2018. 60 of those 76 studies show an association with induced abortion and increased risk of breast cancer with 36 of them statistically significant to the 95 percentile. Okay, let me say that again. 60 of the 76 studies that were done looking at breast cancer risk for women undergoing abortions, uh, 60 of them show an association, a, a considerable association, with induced abortion and increased risk of breast cancer. 36 of those 60 studies are statistically significant to the 95 percentile. But there's a report from the National Academy of Science that claimed to have debunked the breast cancer linkage, the the link with breast cancer and with having had an abortion. Uh, But, of course, it was funded by uh, David and Lucille Packard, who give millions to pro-abortion causes. It was funded by Warren Buffett, who gives millions to pro-abortion causes, and by the Hewlett family, right? Hewlett and Packard. And the Hewlett family gives millions to pro-abortion leftist causes, okay? So just so you know who was behind the report from the National Academy of Science. And that was the study that claimed to have debunked the breast cancer linkage. But the, the study or report relied on only three of those 75 studies, ignoring all 60 of the studies that did not uh, that did show a linkage rather ignored all of the ones that showed a statistically significant linkage uh, to the 95 percentile between abortion and increased risk of breast cancer so there's some of the science for you uh that that interestingly the scientists and the experts don't seem to get right something tells me they put a political ideology before evidence-based science uh shocker we're gonna get to one more thing before we wrap up the show today. Uh, speaking of the experts, okay. Speaking of the experts, uh, no one is is uh, more in love with his title of expert. Um, and, and, and nowhere is there a figure that the left loves to, to yell and bow down and kiss the feet of Mr. Expert uh, more than Dr. Frankenstein Fauci, who, of course, we've covered fairly considerably on this show in regards to abortion, and I really do call him the Frankenstein uh, Fauci because he's been involved in some of the most heinous, disgusting, and disturbing violations of human rights, including experiments on aborted murdered children, some of whom were old enough to survive outside the womb in a neonatal unit with the help of heroic doctors. Daily Wire reporting on February 5th by Ben Zeisloft. According to a report from White Coat Waste Project, the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, right, that's NIAID, led by Dr. Fauci, funds nearly 80% of all taxpayer-supported NIH research involving preborn baby parts. Shocker. Shocker. I couldn't have predicted that. Fauci, the pro-abortion anti-science bigot, is funding nearly 80% of the taxpayer-supported research involving fetal tissue research, fetal organ harvesting, dead baby mutilating, okay? According to the investigation, the NIH is actively funding over $27 million of research approved to use human fetal tissue, also known as HFT, and is expected to spend over $88 million total on human fetal tissue this year. Out of the current $27 million pool, right, that's from the NIH, $21.6 million has been dispersed by Dr. Fauci's department at the NIAID, the group said. In other words, Dr. Fauci is funding around 80% of current NIH experiments involving human fetal tissue. Well, fetal tissue research, I mean, in and of itself is kind of a euphemism, isn't it? Because what is, what is fetal tissue research? It's, it's dead baby chopping, right? And in some cases, it's live baby chopping because in some cases, if they don't use digoxin uh, to cause a heart attack, a fetal cardiac arrest before uh, they deliver the dead baby because it can spoil the tissue, then sometimes the baby is actually born alive and then they dismember the baby because they want to get the parts and the tissue and the organs as unspoiled as possible. And there are reports that this has happened at the University of California, San Francisco. And of course, I've told you that that Dr. Frankenstein Fauci has funded the University of Pittsburgh, right? The University of Pittsburgh, um, where they they scalp the heads of of late-trimester aborted children, and they insert them subcutaneously on lab rats to create what they call humanized mice. And then the rat has grown the infant human hair that would have grown on the head of that infant had they not been aborted and had their death funded by Dr. Fauci. So then the humanized mice can be used for experiments— to find solutions to staph infections, because now it has some human cells in the mice, right? That's what Fauci funds. Now, notice, Dr. Fauci won't perform these experiments himself. (laughs) He just has others do it, right? Uh, Oh, gosh, that's a little too grisly for me. I'll just sit here as the high pontiff of progressivism and make sure all of my priests and priestesses of death do my bidding. Wow, sounds a lot like Joseph Mengele, actually. Sounds a lot like Joseph Mengele, okay? The Nazi scientist who also didn't do really any of the experiments himself, right? Like most scientists at work in the concentration camp environment, Mengele enlisted the aid of trained medical professionals among the prisoner population to perform the more grisly or mundane tasks and to carry out autopsies upon his dead victims, right? He wasn't going to do it. <laughs> He's too important and special. I'm too much of an expert, right? I mean, Fauci really is going for that Mengele title today in America. But there's some fake conservatives and squishy pro-lifers um, who, who join the pro-abortion argument um, against pro-lifers, the pro-abortion argument in defending fetal tissue research. And some of these squishy pro-lifers or fake conservatives will say something like this. Well, Seth, uh, the babies were already dead, right? I mean, listen, uh, you know, I'm pro-life. I hate abortion too, and I want to see it ended. But, you know, since we haven't ended abortion yet, what's wrong with using the, the sadly murdered babies towards a good ends, you know, uh, because they're already dead anyways, right? It's not like we can unabort that child. It's not like we can, you know, bring that baby back to life. If the baby's already dead through an abortion, why not just use their body parts in order to perform experiments if those experiments and findings will enable us to save the lives of other people, right? That's sort of the, the squishy argument for fetal tissue research, which is funded disproportionately by the high pontiff of progressivism, Dr. Fauci. Well, let me ask you something. What if instead of aborted unborn babies, the University of Pittsburgh was purchasing the bodies of black Americans uh, killed through gang violence? Or w- let's say they were purchasing the cadavers of black Americans uh, who were maybe shot by a white police officer. Let's, let's just really uh, trigger the left in our, our thought experiment here. And they were buying those cadavers immediately after their death so they were as fresh as possible. Uh, And then they were mutilating them um, in order to create black humanized mice in order to perform experiments to find solutions to staph infections. Um, Would that disturb you at all? Because, I mean, they were already dead, right? And, and, uh, you know, they, they even had on their license that they would be an organ donor. You know, their family didn't really care what happened to the body um so yeah it's chill you have no problem with that right with that do you think blm incorporated might have anything to say about that desecrating the recently murdered bodies of black americans killed by a white police officer what about the democrat party uh do you think they'd have any problem with that or would they merely applaud that science was once again leading us into the progressive future uh, i think they'd have a problem with that right um, I, I don't think that they would cheer that this was just a, a, a new breaking edge of science to be celebrated by all. Well, what does that tell you, right? What does that tell you about the, that visceral response we have? Uh, this is called the wisdom of repugnance, by the way, right? The wisdom of repugnance. That if, if you have an immediate sort of axiomatic gut reaction to something that's like, oh, ew, I, that doesn't seem chill, dude. There's probably some wisdom in that gut reflex, that repugnance you have to that, and everyone has that repugnance to to my thought experiment of, of uh, you know scientists purchasing the recently murdered fresh cadavers of black Americans killed by killed by Derek Chauvin or something, you know what I mean? And then cutting them up to create black humanized mice. Yeah, no, no one likes that. But if it's a baby, it's fine, right? It's totally fine. It's just science leading us into the future. So why is fetal tissue research wrong? Why is this wrong in the first place? I think there's four reasons and then we'll wrap up the show with this. But you should probably memorize these and remember these because, because this is so hot right now and it's being pushed more and more and it's being funded more and more. By our taxpayer dollars, of course, the Biden administration started taxpayer funding of of fetal tissue research again uh, shortly after he entered the White House. So why is this wrong? Well, firstly, you have to kill the baby to get its tissue, to get its baby parts, right? So if the unborn is a human person, just like us, then killing her to benefit others is a clear-cut moral wrong. It treats a distinct human being with (laughs) inestimable—I always struggle with that word—inestimable worth— as nothing more than a commodity. And if we wouldn't accept treating born people as commodities, as as like chopping up children, right, or black people after they're killed to benefit ourselves as as just the progressive utopian vision, uh, then we shouldn't accept that with the unborn child either, right? And, of course, the only way that you're getting their tissue is you're you're killing them. You're murdering them through an abortion. That's how you got it, right? And so— killing her to benefit others. uh, That might be one of the wrongest things you could do to a human being. The second reason fetal tissue research is wrong is that evil means are used to secure a good end, right? Uh, Accepting baby body parts obtained through an elective abortion uh, makes you an accomplice to the crime after the fact, right? Because unlike adult organ donations, the death of the baby is intentionally caused, Right, the, the way you get an organ from a, you know an adult is either they're they're voluntarily letting themselves have it surgically removed, or they put on their license. If I'm killed in a car crash or an accident or whatever, right, you can use my organs, right? Well, th- that was an accidental death, right? Or it was the willing uh, the willing donation of an organ that someone doesn't need to live while they're still alive, that's not the same as intentionally murdering them to harvest their organs, which is what happens with an abortion, right? So evil means abortion are used to secure an allegedly good end. What's the good end? Science, experiments to improve our own lives. Uh, So obtaining those baby parts um, obtained through abortion makes you an accomplice to the crime after the fact. Here's a thought experiment for you. Courtesy of Scott Klusendorf, consider a case where a hospital becomes the beneficiary of a gang of killers who supply it with fresh cadavers. Don't worry, they're just using the dead dead human beings to perform experiments. Would you question the moral appropriateness? of the hospital continuing cooperation with the suppliers? Of course you were, because the suppliers are gangs, and they're killing innocent human beings, (laughs) and then the hospital's benefiting from that. So they're an accomplice to the crime after the fact. By the way, German doctors who were convicted at Nuremberg at the trials, they passionately argued that they were only using the brains of Jews for the greater good. They claimed it was the SS troops who killed the Jews, Um, not us. We were the doctors. What are you talking about? We're experts. We're scientists. We didn't kill the Jews. We were just using their brains and their bodies to perform experiments. It was the SS troopers who who did the killing, not us. Did the court at Nuremberg accept those arguments? No. In, In fact, these physicians believed they had a moral imperative to make good use of the bodies the SS troops supplied them with. But the court at Nuremberg rejected this claim. And today, there is hardly a peer-reviewed journal in existence that will publish the results from the Nazi experiments. Why? Because of the nature of the crimes that were committed. And it made them an accomplice to the crime after the fact. It was repugnant, it was evil, it was disgusting. And we don't want anyone to even have access to the information that was secured through such a immoral ends. So fetal tissue research is wrong because you actually have to kill the baby to get their parts. It's wrong because evil means are used to secure a good end. And thirdly, it's wrong because it creates an evil market. It creates a market for the evil means. It creates an additional market for abortion, right? Because unwanted babies are the first market the abortion industry profits off of. Fetal tissue research creates an additional market for the abortion industry, selling the bodies of the babies they kill, right? So now you have two markets. You have killing unborn children and selling the cadavers of unborn children. So fetal tissue research creates a market for the evil means because how do you get the cadavers that you're selling or buying? You have to kill the baby first through abortion. So it creates a market. It creates a market for abortion, and this only grows, strengthens, and empowers the abortion industry, who are the practitioners of killing babies. And lastly, fetal tissue research is wrong, or dead baby chopping, as we call it, is because it communicates that abortion can be a moral good. It communicates that abortion can be a moral good. Because fetal tissue research, the popularity and prevalence of it, communicates to some women— who are abortion-minded or abortion-vulnerable, that killing their unborn child can redeem their desperate situation, right? Because they see, well, my baby can provide this redemptive aspect to me killing her, <laughs> because then her body, which I paid to be killed, can be used to bring us into the progressive science utopian future. We That somehow the there will be some benefit, good benefit, fruit that will come from my murdered child whose body can be used to find cures for diseases, right? It it adds this very psychologically complex scenario to an already complex situation, the consideration of killing your own unborn child. By the way, there was a 1995 study um, at the University of Toronto by the Joint Center for Bioethics Um, that that discovered this very fact, among women who would consider abortion, right? So they're abortion-minded or vulnerable. They're thinking about it. Among women who would consider abortion, 17% would be more likely to get an abortion if fetal tissue could be donated for medical use. 17% more would be more likely to kill their baby if they knew that their baby's body parts could be freaking used for experiments and medical use. And at around 1 million abortions a year in America or more, since states don't have to report their abortion data, assuming a 17% increase is somewhat applicable to our political moment, that increase would be catastrophic. Therefore, allowing for and celebrating the benefits of fetal tissue research has a direct impact on the abortion increase, you see? (laughs) Because more women will end up getting the abortion if they know that that their baby's body parts and organs can be used for research and medical donation and medical use and experiments. And now the abortion uh, numbers and the number of human beings being killed actually increases because of this additional market that can be used to profit off of abortion in the first place. So those are the four reasons that fetal tissue or dead baby chopping research is wrong. That's what Dr. Fauci funds. But don't worry, he's an expert. He's not a Joseph Mengele. He just has your best interests at heart. Experts experts. Hmm. I don't think that word means what you think it means. Thanks so much for joining the show today. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, give the show a rating and review. Let us know what you think. We really appreciate it. We're getting a lot more downloads. A lot more people are getting exposed to the podcast, getting equipped, educated, and inspired to engage in this most significant of all moral issues, the number one moral issue of our day, which is a litmus test for the Republic. And it's a litmus test for the church in America today who has put up with and allowed this great evil in our land. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com to sign up for my newsletter, to see my speaking schedule, or to book me for an event as the first half of the year is filling up quickly. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.